I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome back to the Brand is Female podcast. This week, I'm speaking with Helen Stevenson, founder and CEO of Reformulary Group, a company at the intersection of healthcare and tech that aims to make drug plans more affordable for more Canadians. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship programs. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Helen is the former Assistant Deputy Minister of Health and Executive Officer of Ontario Public Drug Programs. She built Reformulary based on a formidable data asset, providing innovative and valuable insights to healthcare stakeholders. Through their proprietary evidence-based drug list that provides valuable comparative drug information, the company helps save money for organizations' health benefit plans. In 2018, Helen was named by Mars Discovery District as one of eight Canadian female founders who have a relentless pursuit of success in science and tech. If you're interested in hearing more about a Canadian woman entrepreneur who's paving the way in tech and in healthcare, this episode is for you. Helen, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female today. Thank you for speaking with me. Wonderful to be on it, Ava. Thank you for inviting me. And if you've listened to an episode before, you'll know by now that I like to start with the origin story. And I'm curious to know, uh, as a, as a younger woman growing up, what did you imagine you'd be doing as a career later in life? Well, from a very young age, I actually wanted to be an airline pilot, and so that, that would have <laughs> that would have been at a time when there were virtually no female pilots in Canada. I actually did sort of reflecting back on it. I did some little bit of research and it was a lady named Rosella Bjornsson that was the first woman to be hired as a commercial airline pilot back in 1973, which is um, pretty recent, all things considered. And so fast forward, while I'm not uh, an airline pilot today, although I do love to fly, I have made some, I'd say, trailblazing like choices through my throughout my life and have not um, followed a traditional path. And I love, I think it's the first time I hear somebody say they were dreaming of being an, an airline pilot. So love that answer. Um, you eventually found your way in the health sector. So I'm curious to know how that happened and what was kind of the first chapter, you know, with your studies and, and, and first chapter of your career. Yeah. So, I mean, back in the, I'd say when I was in high school, for instance, I was actually you know, the, I've always, as I mentioned, made decisions that have or choices that were a little bit different than the sort of others. I mean, I, you know, early on, I went to I went to high school, chose to go to McGill at a time when there was actually very, very few people who went to McGill. I had a side business at McGill selling promotional things. And I sometimes reflect back today and think if I had kept that business, I'd probably be a multimillionaire many times over <laughs> when we think about sort of swag and how that has really picked up. Um, but essentially, it was, you know, I um, I started sort of as an as a young a young girl at age 11. I was I, I've been let's say through many different career paths, and at age 11, I started filing in my dad's law office. And one summer, I worked in the sheriff's office, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, I was preparing and sending out jury summons. And so probably most of us have received a jury summons in the mail. And when I get it now, I'm thinking, oh, time commitment. Back then, though, it was sort of um, an interesting learning experience, I'm going to say. 
And then, right, as I mentioned, I had a promotional swag company selling t-shirts, et cetera. And that was really my first step into entrepreneurship and sort of fast forward to today. But, you know, I did go through a process. I had two corporate jobs in Toronto. Neither excited me. I headed to do my MBA at Boston University in Brussels, Belgium. Uh, I lived in Brussels for three and a half years, just found it the most fascinating city to live in, so international. I then moved to Switzerland. And shortly after I arrived in Switzerland, I was recruited to work for a consulting firm specialized in healthcare. And that was really my entry into this world. I subsequently, while in Switzerland, founded my own consulting firm in, in healthcare lived there for about eight years, moved back to Canada and founded another consulting firm in Canada. And then I was um, still along that healthcare theme. Back in 2005, I was approached by the government to lead big reforms of the prescription drug system here in Ontario. And to me, that was, while I wasn't very familiar with the hallways of government, I thought that was the opportunity of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. What would you say attracted you to healthcare in the first place? It was so it was a combination. I, I, I'd say probably it was a combination of being recruited by this specific firm. And so I was still, I'll say, young and and sort of very intrigued by things. And so it, it wasn't so much the healthcare side of it as it would be exciting to work with. And it was a particular, it was actually a female leader back then. Uh, who attracted me to join. And the moment I started, and I worked on some fascinating, I'll call them mission-driven projects. I worked on a very large initiative. I was the project lead, let's say, for four years to really um, improve organ donation in Europe. So that's very much a country-by-country thing, but a ho- mm-hmm. that sort of hospital infrastructure and community side of it has a plays a big role. And so I was brought on to lead that project with a group of, of international experts, let's say. And that was just captivated me. The the again, it was very much sort of mission driven, but the 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 interaction, let's say healthcare is both, you know, care for people, but it's also a business in to some extent. And the dynamics, the sort of multiple stakeholders that were involved in healthcare I found quite fascinating. So tell me about kind of the turning point. Um, I know you spent a little bit of time in the Ontario Ministry of Health and what led you to want to have your own business? Yeah, so it was, um, I'll say it was, you know, those reforms that I had done, I was, they were really wide ranging and eventually I had a very senior role in, in government Um, And it was, I I found that it was really leading those reforms, to me at least, were very fast-paced, very exciting, very groundbreaking, etc. And I decided when I was ready to leave, I had a vision that the the work that we had done there, really there was an opportunity to take, um, to to borrow some of the structure, let's say, and and bring that into the private sector. And when I say the private sector, I mean um, companies, associations, plans that are privately funded in Canada. And so I, I did that and, t- and thought that knowledge, the insights, the credibility and the contacts that I had, those that I had gained in that ex- through that experience in government, I, I brought them to me and founded my own company. Hmm. 
And tell me about uh, kind of, you know, making the jumps. So you've mentioned having had consulting roles before. Um, when did it feel like, okay, this is going to be a viable business and, you know, this is, this is actually, and actually before we get into that, uh, maybe you can describe for our listeners what your company is about and what you're, what you're focused on delivering. Sure. So, so we, just to give it a tiny bit of background. So in Canada, we have in the prescription drug system and, you know, listeners may have heard of things like pharmacare, et cetera. So that's really what, you know, very topical right now. And so in, in Canada, we have both, um, we have drug plans that are funded by provinces for specific groups of people. Um, for instance, in Ontario, it's it's mostly people over 65, but there's also a program for that's income-based. There's specialized programs as well. And so in every province, there's some coverage for a certain group of people. And right. then in the private sector, I'll call it, there are um, privately funded plans. So for example, right. companies offer as part of their benefit plans, they offer drug plans, associations do unions, etc. So in that benefit plan and, and in the health plan, there is um, a drug plan. And historically, the actual list of drugs nobody knew what was on it, nobody really cared because everything was on it, no matter how much it cost. And yet, in many ways, that's sort of the star of the show, let's say. I, I often use the metaphor of Intel inside. So for people who recognize the, the name Intel, for instance, so back, you know, a few decades ago, Intel's the one that makes the microprocessor and the computer, and they right have their name on the outside of the computer. And back then, people had no idea that the microprocessor really was the part that was the smart part that was driving the power, right? right. Well, that's mm -hmm. very similar to you know a drug plan, where it's actually the list of drugs that's the most important part. And right. so again, yeah. when I founded the business, no one really knew what that was. No one really cared about it because there was no issue around sustainability. There was no access to lists, et cetera. And so what we built is we brought together a group of medical experts and we still have them meet with us every month. And we review, we do research and review, spend hundreds of thousands of hours reviewing drugs and the clinical data and the sort of as much real world data. And we built that into our own proprietary list. So it's a list that sits in the back of an IT system, but it's the smart part of the drug plan. So that's what really drives, you know, good health, good making smart choices, for instance, and, and also sustainability for plans. It is a SaaS model. So we do companies subscribe to our list and they subscribe and the benefit to them is, you know, access to information to make smarter choices, but also savings or, you know, longer term sustainability. So that's what ours is. So, and thank you for all of that background. Um, so when you started, I mean, how did you realize that there was a gap, you know, in the industry for uh, for a company that would be offering this and how, what kind of feedback did you get when you first started to spread the news about the, the company you were starting? Yeah. So, so part of the, the, the gap was that there was, it was just this big list that nobody really knew about. And mm -hmm. in my opinion, so when I, when I left government, I built my business plan and I actually went and raised some money. Um, I, I wrote a white paper called an end to blank checks. And I'd say that really embraces I'd say the main reason is that I could see the path because I was 
head, I was the, the CEO of the big drug program in Ontario, which is now an $8 billion program. I could see all of the new drugs coming to market, the cost of them. And for a plan, and back then it was probably a $4 billion plan, we had to make choices because we were covering, you know, millions of Ontarians, we had to make choices with respect to which drugs, where was the clinical data really strong and the cost was manageable. And or if it was a breakthrough, right, well, perhaps the cost was higher. And so I could see that this was a path to unsustainability for private plans where they just didn't even know what a formulary was. I'll say respectfully, um, most didn't. And so on that basis, I wrote this paper called An End to Blank Checks, because in my, from my perspective back then, private plant that needed to do something about that big drug list, because that was the, that is what drives the cost, right, is what drugs people are taking, you know, do they actually work better, do they not work as well, or they cost more, et cetera. And that was really the, I'll say, the impetus. I, I had had some exposure from some other jurisdictions through that work in government, and certainly in the U.S., what we do is very, um, in fact, the, in the U.S., they're very aggressive. They sometimes just outright don't cover drugs. Anyway, that right. was sort of the, the idea for it is that we really need to, we really need to get a grasp on, on drug spend, not mm -hmm. to mention, and I'd say my little commercial message to Canadians is, you know, there are actually drugs that work better than other drugs. And yet mm -hmm. Canadians don't have access to that information. They wouldn't know. They, they don't have sort of the, the know-how to be able to review. And so that's the other big, I'd say, um, one of the big reasons is I want to equip people with good information to make smart choices and to right. understand that there are alternatives. It isn't the only drug to treat a condition. There are alternatives. Right. Um, so it sounds like, you, you know, you had proof of concept and you knew uh, that there was going to be industry buy-in, uh, in including through your round of financing, including through uh, the white paper that, that you wrote on, on the topic. Um, what would you say was maybe a, an obstacle you could not have foreseen when you when you went out and actually launched your company? Yeah. So some of the, I mean, one was, I guess, um, when I look back now, I, I'd say perhaps I should have foreseen it. it. It was the entrenched views and and sort of of um, big insurance companies that manage, right? That really, they're the insurance companies that are one the, that administer plans. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, just like insurance companies provide car insurance. There are other insurance companies that provide, you know, health and health and dental insurance, et cetera. And that's really where the drug piece sits. And right. so there was, you know, there are organizations where they don't want changes to the status quo. There are inevitably, if we're going to reduce the cost, right, the spend by an organization that could have an impact, right, on Right? multiple stakeholders. And so there were some pretty, it was, it was, um, there was some pretty fierce resistance at the beginning. Mm -hmm. There were some organizations that really embraced it. We had one partner insurance company that was the first partner of ours, and they saw the opportunity. And we had others that I would say um, didn't want to entertain, you know, didn't really want to be engaged or, or you know, part of what we were doing. Right. 
what kind of culture were you trying to build? And it's, it's interesting because you spent a lot of time in the private sector, you know, in the same industry, and then you moved over to having your own business. So I'm curious to hear you on the topic culture. And as you started building a team, uh, how was it different knowing that, you know, it's your own company and you're really in the top leadership position um, compared to, you know, working for an entity before still having a team, still being a leader, but now knowing that a lot of decisions around culture, around, you know, leadership, anything that has to do with your team uh, really uh, come back to you specifically. Yeah, that, that's a, a great question. I mean, for me, it, it's I'm, I'm going to say one of the most important things to me in in culture is sort of building a culture of curiosity. So we don't it's it's I mean, sure, there, it's a recognition of uh, I'm big on if you don't know something, put your hand up because there mm-hmm. may be people around you who know or otherwise we might be able to figure out who knows. And so I think that's in terms of Also, let's say, you know, trying to move through obstacles, I think that's a really solid approach is just put your hand up. And so it's a culture of not um, not hesitating to do that, of not feeling like you're going to be judged because you don't know something. On the contrary, I would say, in my mind, at least, it's it can be more um, difficult if someone just keeps carrying along with information that they don't necessarily know because now you're right you're much further down so that's definitely something that's very important to me I have to say is it, it's my business my sort of baby I'll call it and so yeah. um, you know I expect people to building a culture of put, doing their best so doing mm-hmm. their best doesn't mean working 20 hours a day it means right when they're here, they're present and they're engaged and engaged with colleagues as well. Mm -hmm. So I mean, certainly, you know, the pandemic, um, it's interesting in our organization, there was more than half of the people that the moment they knew they could come back into the office, they've been here. And so, Mm -hmm. and I think part of that is, I mean, for sure, there's probably an element of people needing a division between work and home. But it was also too, I think, just the ability to like to continue to interact with colleagues. Right. Yeah. The social aspect. Yeah. And so that's, mm-hmm. say, you know, a real culture. It's also, I'd say, you know, something I um, really focus on, too, is listening and listening to people around me. I mean, I may make a different decision than what they're offering, but I think it's important. And again, that's, you know, that that's also, I'd say, you know, deeply embedded in the way that I I approach culture. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women and Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice, puts guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way, so we can all share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business.
how do you manage growth? And it's interesting because a lot of the entrepreneurs we speak to on, on the podcast have a B2C business. Uh, in your case, you're working in a very niche industry with a niche set of clients, uh, mostly the, the insurance companies. So uh, what, what does your growth strategy look like and how, how do you approach planning next stages of, of growth for your company? Yeah. So we, so we have this, um, just write this, let's say drug formula, this big drug list. So it, it, the, the, like essentially just a quick sort of recap, like the insurance cables are sort of enablers, they're distribution channels. We have to have our list in the system, but we asked, we actually learned fairly early on in growing the business that in, in Canada in that whole area, just like, again, back to your auto insurance, most Canadians get their auto insurance through a broker, for instance, so that's right. the same in the group benefit experience. So, so sure, big, large corporations, I, I look across at the big HSBC building, you know, they might go through a consultant or they might go directly to an insurance company. But the vast majority of small to medium sized businesses, which is really Canada, they mm-hmm. actually work through these advisors and brokers. So what right. we realized early on in our growth strategy is we we need to work with them. They are an important, very important part of our business as as sort of, I'll say, channel partners, because they're the ones that have access to customers. And so Mm -hmm. if we can, if we can, in order to reach more companies in Canada, if we can develop strong relationships with them, and then their clients are happy with our service, right, that's Mm -hmm. a very powerful way to scale. So that's certainly one way that we scaled. The other is, is that through our business, we started to accumulate large data assets. Um, We also went out and acquired and procured data assets. And so from that perspective, it's their data assets that are directly relevant to our business. But we also now have this and, and have services on this base, you know, subscription services on this basis as well, with respect to understanding the dynamics among different I'll say markets and drugs, et cetera. And, and then similarly, we've a, a sort of a similar, I'll say, you know, part of our, our reformulary business that now has, it has grown on its own as well. So that's really how we've scaled is we have this core piece, mm-hmm. but really taking elements of that, we've been able to create, you know, sort of related businesses that are really using the same core IP, but right. have been able to help us scale. That's really interesting. And you, you've really carved out, you know, a, a place for, for yourself and, and, you know, your, your, uh, a trailblazer in, in the industry because that, that company, you know, servicing, uh, the same needs didn't exist before, from what I understand. Um, would you say there are a lot of opportunities now when it comes to the health sector, especially where tech and health overlap? And uh, what kind of opportunities are there in your eyes for entrepreneurs who would be interested in, you know, uh, starting a business in, in a similar industry? Yes, that, it's a, it's a, that's a very interesting question, because I think I would have said probably 10 or 15 years ago, people, one wouldn't have thought the healthcare space. I mean, we all think of public health care. We think of our doctors, We right? We It's it's. And certainly in just about every province, right, we're covered through the provincial insurance, et cetera. But there are these subsets of healthcare, which are actually, there's a large private component. And so I, I would say there's certainly, I mean, the whole area of healthcare data, for instance, that's mm-hmm. where yeah. we've seen companies emerge. 
Uh, definitely through COVID, we've seen virtual care providers emerge. You know, that's an interesting business. Well, where I'm not, I'm not entirely sure where that's headed because the trend is now right for people to see their doctors back in in their office. So anyway, it'll probably, I'm sure it'll find its way. But I do think there are opportunities in in healthcare, let's say, for private providers as well. And it's mm. it, you know being data being these niche, we're not, but these areas like virtual care, for instance. I mean, ourselves, we're looking at how can we, you know, that how could we now start from what we're doing to collect, for instance, what's called real world evidence. So that essentially means so people start using a drug, but we really don't understand how all of those people taking that drug, how they're doing. We understand Mm. what it's like in the trials, for instance, clinical trials up until it's actually approved. But what about when we've got millions of people actually taking that drug? And so I think that's an that's an area which is on on the right at the front of everyone's mind in terms of how we could explore that. There's there's work done for sure already. Mm-hmm. Um, you are you know a, a female founder. You're the woman at at the helm of your company. Um, we know in the health sector in Canada. Uh, it's an industry where, you know, there are a lot of women workers, but typically not necessarily in executive positions. Uh, tech is a, is, is also a, uh, an industry where women are underrepresented. So are you making any efforts or do you have any strategies in place to really try and mentor the next generation of women, women who, you know, could be interested in uh, climbing up the ladder in, in the health or the, or the tech industry or an, an industry that overlaps the two, such as your company? I, I have, I've been involved in some, I'll say some panels, for instance, with, you know, really targeted at women. And I have had women, young women come to, or not just young women, but come to me about being mentored. Mm -hmm. Um, I love helping and supporting. I also have lots of what not to do um, advice as well, or, or what, you you know, what obstacles, how did I get around them? What would I, so I have a lot of, I have a lot to share as well on the things I would have done differently. And now that I know what I know. I'd love to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) What's an example of something you would have done differently in in that uh, category? I mean, one of the things I'm going to, I'll say is certainly when I went into my company, I did not have a a, a strong background, for instance, in capital markets. Mm -hmm. So I, my initial um, funding came from a U.S. company that was in the space I was in. And they were very interested in my business plan, myself, et cetera, my background, and provided me some funding to start. And so, but that said is, you know, then I've got the funding, I'm building the company, et cetera. Inevitably, I needed to raise some more money. What I what I wasn't um, really very experienced in, I had a little bit, let's say, but because I had to pitch that company, but that whole area of capital markets, of the importance of cultivating connections, for instance, of, you know, reaching out and, you know, sort of so like socializing with, you know, pre-raise, for instance. And so that's an area I think I could have done much better is, first of all, the contacts, and second of all, being out actively you know, actively socializing, providing updates on my business, even though I wasn't in a raise. And I'd say that's, you know, something I would strongly recommend to people. But the other, I'd say an area where I've learned a lot is talent. And it's, um, it's, 
I've, you know, I've always had a process that is, I'm going to say, really rigorous around um, the people I hire, having many people meet them, et cetera. But it's always being in a large company and then being in a really small company where you don't have IT people, where you can just call if you've got a computer hiccup, et cetera. I mean, there's there's definitely some people who just don't feel comfortable in that environment, who don't right. thrive in a smaller environment. And so those are some of the lessons yeah. I've learned as well. I, I mean, I still don't get it perfect. Um, we still, but it's something I feel over the, over the years, I've become more attuned to and, and myself learned what to sort of test for, et cetera. So, I mean, those are certainly some of the things that I've, I've learned. I've, I've also learned, right. You stay the course, right. You, you, this is what you're focused on. This is your core business. And it's sometimes very exciting to explore other strategies. I've, I've definitely done that well as well. And um, and but it's really you've got to stay on a straight line to your goal. Mm-hmm. What is your um, definition of success today and has it evolved over time? Yeah, I mean, my um, I, yeah, yes, it has evolved over time. You know, right now, I think when, when I first um started i was very focused on building the business i was very i was very focused on um like i'm going to say more more tactical things in terms of okay i've got to do lois with all the insurance companies and then i've got to do this and then i've got to do that etc i have over the years and specifically more recently really brought on some you know really senior talent i have a coo who's a woman a female and um and so i've again, bringing on that more senior talent has been very helpful. But success to me is having, I mean, first of all, meeting my forecast is an important part of success. Mm -hmm. But also, it's really that, you know, growth and where I want to grow, and not, let's say, not grow, not try to grow in areas which are completely new to us, but Mm -hmm. rather grow in areas that are maybe just a cross sell of what we are are doing or an upsell, etc. So back to success, it's meeting my numbers. It's also having a, um, I'll say a, a really, like the team really gelling. We do, we are adding team members, for instance. So we're, right, it's important to me and, I, and success to me means having a, a very good interaction, a really collegial, collaborative, curious, for instance, culture. And then I have financial goals. I definitely want this, you know, the company to continue growing and to be a very significant success. And, um, and so I have, you know, from that perspective, my own, let's say, personal financial goals for the company, and for myself. Yeah. And actually, that's a question I had for you uh, as well. You've held, you know, senior positions in, in organizations, and now um, you're, you're obviously at, at, at the helm of your own company. Um What's your key to when I, I hate the concept of, you know, work-life balance as as it's defined, because I think that's a lot of pressure on women for trying to achieve it all. Um, and, and we all know that's not always possible, not all at the same time. But how do you find balance between work and uh, your personal life and even your family life? Yeah, um, that is a great, a great question to ask. When, when I... Um, when I founded my company, I was actually a single mom with three kids. 
Mm. Three kids under, let me think, they would have been under 15 for sure. Um, And I was a sole supporter. So I took a big risk. Mm. I took Mm. a big risk. Um, I I often say with a smile on my face, I could probably write a bad parenting handbook um, because of all of the little, you know, things that you do or you forget to do, for instance. But I haven't, I mean, I, I've, I have, um, I am extremely close to my kids as a result of that, mm-hmm. you know, being with them and I'm extremely close to them. I'd say I, you know, I learned um, things over the years. One of the, if I may share it, one of, I think my um, best tips for working moms is, so I used to, my, I have two boys and a girl and my daughter was the one who would be teary. You know, mom, you're the only one who, you know, who, I'm the only one whose mom doesn't take me to the, or drop me off at the playground or at school or whatever. I mean, she's, she's right now she's a very accomplished young woman. But back then I, and and so I, I, I came up with a strategy where I said to each of them, okay, pick three school things that you absolutely want me to go to and I will be mm. there. And if I can go to others throughout the year, I'll try. But I promise you I will be there for those three. And I did. And I think that was one of the smartest things I did. Mm, yeah. You, because kids want, like they do like certainty, right? And they want to be able to say, especially when they're little, well, my mom's coming. And mm-hmm. so um, because I worked a lot, I would, you know, feed my kids. I'd put them to bed and I'd go back to work till one, two in the morning and then all over right. again. So I've always worked very hard. I still work very long hours today. But that's, I think it's, you know, I I chose to do less for myself so that it was my business and it was my kids. Mm -hmm. And I know, I mean, that's very much a personal decision. I don't necessarily recommend it or not to any others. It's, It's really what works for you. But I did find, you know, ways to stay very close and engaged with my children. Um, well, my young adults now. Yeah. And uh, right. And so it was really myself, I'm going to say, that got was compromised. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't to me. But that to me, that was more important. It was more important to me that I grew my business and I spent time with as much as I could with my kids. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's a, that's a good tip. The, uh, picking the three school things that, uh, that mom's going to attend. Um, what's on the agenda for 2023? What's one or two of the big priorities that you're working on, uh, with your company? Yeah. So we're, so we're still, um, I mean, we're still growing. So we're, this year is going to be a big growth year, a big growth year in terms of our, um, well, our revenue, for instance, we've spent, you know, a few years now, again, in, in building out our networks, we've got amazing results. That's one thing that we produce every year is a bit of a report card. And so that's the, the absolute priority. The other priority for me th- this year is to we still need a few more team members in place. And so we're recruiting. And once we have those team members in place, so hopefully by within, I'm going to say the next two or three months is really then also to focus on really bringing that team together because we have over the years brought people in and out. I have a couple of people that have worked with me since almost the very beginning one since kind of month four or something. And so it's really um, building out our team, achieving our revenue goals. And then for me, I I am hopeful. My own personal goal is that I can actually um, 
you know, have weekends off. <laughs> and again, I don't, I would not impose Excellent that on goal. anyone else. And I wouldn't, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't recommend anyone to sort of do that. But that's the choice that I made to really, you know, keep, um, keep everything moving. And so that's another personal goal as well. Mm. Well, good luck on everything that's on the list, including uh, getting your weekends off and to yourself. And thank you so much for sharing your journey, Helen. It's, it, this was very interesting. And congratulations on, on everything you've already achieved. Thank, thank you for you, making Anne. time today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to meet. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening today. If you did enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Yeah.